This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about something that I know a lot of you haven't heard about, but it has been in the news. There have been several articles written about this here recently, so you may have heard about it. Maybe didn't know everything that went into it, so we're going to get into it today. We're going to talk about Snapchat dysmorphia. Okay, what in the world is that? So I know for some of you guys listening, you don't even know what Snapchat is. And so I'll just be real honest with you. I'm not on this particular social media. So I basically stick to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, that kind of stuff, Instagram. But I don't really use Snapchat. But for some of you guys out there that do not have Snapchat, essentially it's a messaging app. This was started back in 2011. But you can send pictures or short videos, uh, and these are only things that are accessible for a short period of time. Like, I even know people that Snapchat with their kids, so as opposed to sending a text back and forth with their kids, it's just these little snippets back and forth, like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you at? Where are you hanging out? It's just kind of a fun little thing, but, you know... For a lot of people not really knowing what it is, especially for some in the older generation, there's close to 200 million users worldwide. So it's a it's a very significant social media app. It's not you know up there with the giants uh, quite yet, but it is really really popular. And specifically, this is really popular with Gen Z. So that is the younger generation right behind the millennials. Um, it's way more popular for them than Facebook or Twitter or things like that. Those people tend to stick to uh, Snapchat and Instagram. But the thing about this in terms of Snapchat dysphoria, and specifically we'll focus on Snapchat, is we we have seen kind of this uptick in people that are wanting to change their overall appearance, and it's based on what they're seeing through the lens on things like Snapchat, okay? So let, let me kind of break this down, and I'll see if I can do this where it makes sense. But um, used to, if you were a plastic surgeon, and you had a lot of plastic surgeons that are talking about this... When people requested to have plastic surgery done and it wasn't because of some sort of an accident, it was because they wanted to be made to look like their favorite celebrity, right? So say they would come in with a picture of uh, Brad Pitt or of Jennifer Aniston or, or of someone that they thought was really, really attractive. And they would say, make me look like this person, right? So so maybe that would be shaving down their cheekbones or, or a nose job or uh, fixing something in their jawline or, or doing something with their skin, like whatever the thing may be. But uh, basically that's what it used to be, right? But today, if you listen to plastic surgeons today, a lot of the requests that are coming in is to make people look better in selfies. And no, I'm not kidding. I know a lot of the guys that listen to this podcast, you're not like selfie people, but a lot of people are going in to these doctors saying, I want to look better in my selfies. Can I please just look better? But a lot of it is happening in Snapchat as well, because one thing that Snapchat does is they have filters. So you've seen this on Instagram, but again, today we're going to focus mainly on Snapchat, but there are filters that you can put on a picture that change your appearance. Uh, appearance. Some of them are kind of ridiculous, like it'll make you have like a dog nose and dog ears or, or bunny ears and a tongue or something like that. But some of these things, they automatically change the features of your face. 
So it will, you know, take your cheekbones higher. It'll narrow your nose a little bit. It'll make your eyes bigger. And so it's just a little bit more of an attractive look. And so it's not meant to be as goofy as, you know, the dog or the bunny or, or whatever else, but it's just changing these people's overall appearance. So now, like I said, the, these plastic surgeons are reporting that these people are coming in saying, I want my selfies to look better. I want to look like my Snapchat filter, right? And so there, there's different editing apps also within uh, some of these different apps that you can use. So like Facetune is one where you can basically do the job of Photoshop, but do it right there on your phone. So you can change your skin tone. You can, you know, edit out blemishes or any cuts on, on your face or scars or something like that. You can just change your overall appearance before you just post your selfie on whatever social media site you're doing that for. And that's essentially what it's good for is for selfies. But the Journal of American Medical uh, uh, Medical Association, so JAMA, this this was an organization that's kind of looking at current data and they're they're looking at trends that are a little bit disconcerting when it comes to this type of an attitude and the things that they do. And so I wanted to take a quote from one of their current articles uh, about what's happening here. And so here we go. Current data show that 55% of surgeons report seeing patients who request surgery to improve their appearance in selfies, up from 42% in 2015. The survey also noted an increase in the number of patients sharing their surgical process and results on social media. So again, I'm going to go back to, to the numbers that we had in those stats, guys. It went up 13% in three years the number of people that are requesting surgical alterations to improve their appearance in selfies. Like that's a very specific claim, right? This isn't like, okay, well, you know, 42% wanted to improve their appearance, you know, three years ago. Now it's 55%. No, no, no. It's, they want to appear, they, they want to increase uh, or the appeal of their appearance whenever they're taking a selfie specifically. So just kind of let that sneak, sink in for you guys a little bit. So again, this is called Snapchat dysmorphia, which guys, this is an idiomatic term. It's a colloquial term. It's not an actual diagnosable condition. However, th this is still fairly new. So there's a lot of things that we've seen where this wasn't like a definable diagnosable condition in, until it was, right? So, so right now it's, it's pretty much close to BDD. And if you're not familiar with that, that's body dysmorphic disorder. So body dysmorphic disorder or BDD is classified on the obsessive compulsive spectrum. About one in 50 people, uh, thereabouts have this, but essentially what this is, and is you've seen this, you've seen people that can't be skinny enough. Like they're, they're really, really skinny, but every time they look in the mirror, they feel like they, they need to be skinnier, which can lead to anorexia or bulimia or things like that. I mean, I remember working at a gym when I was in college and there was this gal who, um, she would do about an hour or two's worth of cardio in the mornings when I would be there, uh, working out. And then in the evenings, she would do an hour or two more. And this girl definitely weighed less than a hundred pounds. Um, you could see her, her ribs coming through her shirt. You could see like all of her shoulder blades, like it, it was a really, really bad look. And finally I had to tell somebody that worked in staff. Cause again, I'm a 18 at the time. Like, what am I going to do? Go up there and, and, you know, risk my job to, to help this girl again. I was 18. I didn't know what to do. So I went to one of my uh, supervisors and I basically told them about this. Cause I said, look, like we're watching this girl waste away here. And so they ended up taking this girl to, to the side and, and talking to her and trying to help her out because, you know, she obviously had BDD, but then we see this with other people as well. We see it on the other side. So this, this is the one that affects guys more. You see guys that can't be big enough, right? They, they can't be swollen enough. They can't be stacked enough. Like they can't. So every time they look in the mirror, even if they're jacked, I mean, 
20 inch biceps and, you know, cut ab abdominals and huge chest and neck. They're always looking in the mirror and thinking, man, I need to be bigger. Like they have body dysmorphic disorder. They're, they're, what they're seeing in the mirror is not what they want to see. And, and so here's the thing that that's interesting about BDD, especially with these individuals that are requesting surgery so that their Snapchat, you know, pictures and selfies look better is pretty much. And you can see where this is going. It doesn't improve after surgery for most people like their dysmorphic disorder, their body dysmorphic disorder doesn't get solved after they make the surgical changes. And which is really interesting to think about because these people are like, literally it starts with, Hey, if I can just get my nose fixed, my, my nose is just big or my nose is crooked or something like that. If I could just get that fixed, then I'll really like what I see in the mirror. But then they get their nose fixed. They go through all, all the pain and suffering and recovery and, and money they had to spend for that. And then it's something else. Wow. My ears stick out too much. Or man, I, I really wish my lips were fuller or something like that. It just doesn't improve. It just, they always want more. And so here's the thing, guys, is some of these requests are like the ones I've mentioned already. So it's rhinoplasty, so nose jobs, higher cheekbones, uh, more defined jawlines. Uh, one that was really interesting as I was researching this topic before the podcast, there was a surgeon in Beverly Hills that had a young gal come in. I mean, she, she again was maybe 20, 22 years old, something like that. She wanted anime eyes. So for guys that don't know what I'm talking about, it's like, you know, Japanese anime, like uh, the, the different drawing styles, all those characters have really, really, really big eyes, like really, really huge eyes. And so this girl came in and she wanted her eyes to basically be three times bigger than what they were. And so this, this doctor was like completely flabbergasted at how flabbergasted this girl was. He was basically trying to explain to her, I can't make your eyes bigger. Like, but she's showing him on, on, on this filter is like, no, look like I did this filter and look how big my eyes are. I really like how I look here. And he's having to basically break her heart and say, ma'am, I, I can't make your eyes bigger. But one thing that we're seeing is, is there's a really marked increase in requested plastic surgery by those that are below the age of 30. Like we always used to think, and you may see people that are like this, you know, a, a lady, she starts getting into her forties and fifties, and then she's really, really concerned about her look. So she's going to, you know, get, get some facial work done. And, and typically you can kind of tell when you see, you come across those people because it doesn't look that natural, but we see this in guys as well. You know, they'll get their skin stretched or altered on their neck or, or different things going on with their face. And it's just like, yeah, you, you kind of see why people do that in old age, especially if they're trying to hang on to their younger years, but this is happening to people below the age of 30. Like that's incredibly concerning. But and then in addition to that, we already have a generation of people that is embracing debt at a rate that we never thought possible. But the costs of a lot of these things that these people are doing, these young people are doing are incredibly expensive. So just to kind of give you like a reference point, if you were to get like a, a facial or neck smoothing of some kind, that's like a $15,000 procedure. You know, a boob job or a butt job. I know some of you guys are like butt job. Yes, there are actually people that are injecting things into women's butts. So their butts are, are fuller and higher and all those different things. That's about 15,000 bucks. You know, liposuction, whether that's on your, on your stomach or arms or, or legs or something like that, that's about 20 grand. Tummy tucks are about 20 grand. So these are not cheap things, guys. Like these are really, really expensive things that these people, a lot, some of these people are going into debt in order to just try to look like a selfie, right? or like, like something that their filter took. And so, um, as we kind of get into the second half of, of this episode here, there was one really, really interesting quote 
that uh, came from the doctor who coined the term Snapchat dysmorphia. And I think it's really important for us as we're looking at this through a Christian lens and a Christian worldview, like how, how are we going to look at this and how are we going to operate in this type of a situation? So this was a quote from the doctor. Treating patients that do show those red flags is not only unethical, but also detrimental to the patient as they need something that no needle or scalpel can ever provide. I'll read that last part again. As they need something that no needle or scalpel can ever provide. So obviously the doctor here is talking about those those red flags of, okay, this is someone that's just going to constantly be coming into my office periodically, trying to get me to assist them in this new venture of making this part of their body more desirable, right? But But again, as they need something that no needle or scalpel can ever provide. What's interesting about this quote is you can kind of tell, like this is someone that I, I presume is more on the sci- scientific side, but it's basically like trying to find ultimate meaning while using a non-theistic, humanistic, materialistic framework, right? And we've kind of talked about this a little bit on this podcast before, but it's like when an atheist tries to explain to you, like have them try to explain happiness to you. Like what is happiness? Because if it's not something that just helps us live longer and helps us, you know, maintain the species and keep it, you know, going forward, then what is that? You know, what is charity? Like, what is meaning? So, so these people are trying to find worth somewhere and and they're doing it by going under the knife, right? And trying to take care of things. But here's this doctor even, he knows there's something missing for these people. And I, I am going to presume a few things here, so I'm going to pretty much be putting words in this doctor's mouth, uh, even though that's kind of unfair to him. I'm just going to do that for the sake of this podcast. But I feel like if he notices that one of these individuals, that's kind of what they're doing, is that going to stop him from taking their money? So he sees a 25-year-old girl or guy, and you know they're, they're trying to make sure that they uh, <clears throat> look exactly like they want based on their filters or something like that. And he's just going to be like, nah, I'm not going to go ahead and do that tummy tuck for you. You don't need it. You need help. I mean, I don't know. $20,000 is $20,000, man. And if you're running a business and you have employees, maybe you take that. But let's assume he's a good guy. Let's assume he's altruistic and he wants to help people out. What's going to say that, like, what's his next step? Send him to a counselor? send them to a psychologist of some kind. I mean, maybe, maybe that's something that they'll do. Maybe not. But at the end of the day, he's running a business, but he knows there's something missing, but he doesn't want to necessarily get into that. So I I watched this interview of this. uh, It was a different uh, doctor. This was another guy that was in Beverly Hills, but he was just kind of describing these different situations and how much they cost. But at no point, you can kind of tell that the people interviewing him were, were, they were trying to give him softball questions where he was going to say, no, if somebody wants to come in and just change something, and I I think they're just going to be back in here again. And, you know, they have some sort of dysmorphia going on that I wouldn't take their money, but the dude wouldn't say it. Right. I mean, he's in Beverly Hills. People are just going to want to change those things. They're going to want to adjust it into whatever way that they want to. But again, it's so interesting that this doctor would bring that up because he knows there's a gap, but he doesn't know how to quantify what can go in that gap because, because he's in the world of humanism, you know, biological humanism, right? Everything is just based on our biology. Every decision that we make is based on our biology. And so it's so hard for them to quantify anything that doesn't really fit into that framework, right? So I want to transition here to kind of talk about a few different things is why this should concern us as men of God. Because again, some of you guys may have already mentally checked out in this podcast. So I'm going to ask you to kind of check back in here because you're like, well, dude, I don't do with that. 
Like, I don't even know how to do a selfie on my phone. Like, why in the world would I need to mess with that? But, but here's the thing is, is you may not be dealing with this, but the youth around you are, whether that's the youth that live in your household or the youth that are in, in the youth group at your church, or if you volunteer at the school, it's those individuals, like these people are being affected by this. And so even if your kid has a tremendous amount of self-confidence or the kid that you help mentor, uh, you know, down at big brothers, big sisters, like those types of these people deal with this. And so for us as men, if we're going to be guiding these individuals, what is it that we can do? And so there's a few concerns that I want to, you know, there's a few things that I want to go over as to why this should concern us. So I I came up with five. So just kind of follow me through here. The first one is the youth are looking for perfection in their appearance. And so again, go back to when you were a kid, right? So when you're 13 or 14, maybe you're in that awkward stage of your body's not really developing yet. Maybe you were a late bloomer. Maybe you were an early bloomer. Just think about all the awkwardness and the tension that was going on in your body at that time. Like all of us understand that we would rather be pretty. You know, if we're a girl, we would rather be pretty as opposed to not being pretty. If we're a guy, we'd rather be seen as handsome as opposed to not being handsome, like those types of things. But this is different for what these kids are experiencing. They're looking for perfection because a lot of these individuals, again, just go, just go look it up on Google, just type in, you know, Snapchat dysmorphia. And a lot of the people that are featured on the pictures and the articles or on the YouTube videos, these are attractive people. Like these are people that are attractive. They're attractive males and females, but that's not good enough for them. They have to attain perfection. And these are individuals that are, it's this constant cycle of they're looking at these pictures of these Instagram models and these people on Snapchat that they follow or these businesses that are using these models to advertise to these individuals. They're constantly just getting better and better looking. Bodies are tighter. Faces are, are even more symmetrical and perfect. And they're thinking, man, I have to measure up. They're 14 years old and they're thinking they have to measure up on social media or else their friends aren't going to accept them. Like, again, guys, I understand that that may seem ridiculous for you to under, to understand or really get through your head. But any of you guys out there with teenage daughters, I, I feel like the feedback is going to be exactly to that point that, that we're looking for perfection and it's really damaging how people are operating or as people are trying to figure out how they traverse this life. Right. So that's something that I think is really important for us to understand. And the second thing is, is as the West moves further away from this Judeo-Christian ethic in which we were founded, we can assume that issues like this will only get worse, right? Because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast that we're, we're in a post-Christendom culture. We're moving away from that, that, you know, our, our people in government, but also just people in any types of authority or even just in everyday life, they're moving away from that Judeo-Christian ethic. So we can assume that these are problems that are going to continue to come up. So I don't know what we're going to call the generation that comes after Gen Z, but these individuals are, are going to grow up, even as Gen Z has, they've had these apps and they've had these phones since they could basically figure out how to use them. I mean, how many of you guys just put your, you know, your phone in your kid's hand whenever you just need them to go in the corner and shut up, right? They know how to work these devices. So if they are using these filters and they're using these these social media apps at a young age, it could be damaging. And I'm not sitting here thinking that we should ban Snapchat, all right? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But it is something to be cognizant of. It's something to be aware of because we could ground ourselves before in a Judeo-Christian ethic, but that is being pushed out to the fringes of society, right? Every Christmas, right? We have this thing is like, are we allowed to say Christmas? Are we allowed to have a nativity scene on, on government property? Are we allowed to post a Ten Commandments somewhere? Are, are we allowed to talk about Jesus? Like those are things that were not questions even 20 years ago. 
But but here we sit in 2018, and as we move forward, those are going to be questions that continuously come up. So we can assume things like this will continue to go in that direction as well. The third thing I wanted to bring up is basically as the youth become increasingly less resilient, the problems will be exacerbated. So this kind of goes into the last thing, and we talk about resilience on this podcast, obviously, all the time. But the youth are getting weaker, right? Kind of go back to that podcast where I went into that that poem, which is basically, you know, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, right? It's that type of a thing. Like right now as, as a country, the strong men, you know, basically we have weak men that are making hard times for us right now. Because again, if you have a kid today, as they're growing up, like they're not having to go search for food. They're not having to defend their land against intruders. They're not having to do some of the things that, you know, some people several generations ago had to do. Uh, you know, they're not even thinking in terms of how they can serve their country. It's only how they can serve themselves, right? Like that's kind of where we find ourselves. But a lot of that is just coming down to resilience. You know, we, we talk about a lot, and I'm sure you guys have complained a lot about the every kid gets a trophy generation. But part of you, uh, a lot of you guys are feeding into that. You're still taking them to tournaments and letting them get those trophies, aren't you? Like, you know, I remember whenever uh, that player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, James Harrison, came out and said that if his boys basically got trophies for not winning or not placing at a tournament, he was going to make them give them back. And he was destroyed for that. He was absolutely destroyed for that, right? But why? His kids became more resilient in that moment, handing back that meaningless trophy or that meaningless ribbon or that meaningless medal, right? And so as the youth become less resilient, because of how we treat them, because of how the schools treat them, how, how the schools basically say, oh, you know, uh, you're, you're not, you know, you didn't do your homework, but that's okay. It has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, you just didn't do it or that your parents didn't push you or that you didn't push yourself. Uh, it's because you have a learning disorder or, or it's because of how you were raised or it's because of the socioeconomic status of your parents or because of your race or because of your gender or because of your whatever. We just keep giving them excuses. These excuses are making them weaker. So problems like this, if you can't see yourself as a resilient human being, you're going to look for the easy way out. So if you want to look better, you're just going to get surgery to make sure that that happens, right? If you want to be more desirable and look like your favorite pop star, then that's what you're going to do. I mean, just think about it even this way. Let's say you're you're a handsome young guy, right? You know, you're good with the ladies, you're growing up and just, you know, dating's easy for you if you're one of those types of guys. Let's, let's say you get in a car accident or maybe an accident in a sport of some kind and now you have a big scar across your face. If you're a resilient guy, you're just going to embrace it. Be like, well, that's my face. That's my face now. But But what if you don't have that resilience? And what if your identity was found in your appearance? And again, you've been trying to attain perfection, which we've talked about, and you're trying to do those different things, and you're trying to ground yourself outside of this Judeo-Christian ethic. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to react to that? So that's something that we really need to be looking for. The fourth thing I want to go over is if we don't teach the youth about the Imago Dei, then who will? Okay, and again, guys, I talk about the Imago Dei from time to time, and I've kind of come to realize that not all of you understand where, where that is or where that term comes from or what it even means, and that's kind of part of the issue, which we'll get into here in a second. But I did find a, a fairly elongated definition of that term from PBS of all places, but I want to kind of go into that, so it's going to take me a little bit uh, to unpack that because it's a couple paragraphs here, but I think this is kind of a good overall understanding. Uh, while not being terribly, terribly theological, it will kind of give you a basic overview. So here we go, Imago Dei. The term Imago Dei refers most fundamentally to two things. First, God's own self-actualization through humankind. And second, God's care for humankind. 
To say that humans are in the image of God is to recognize the special qualities of human nature which allow God to be made manifest in humans. In other words, for human beings to have the conscious recognition of their being in the image of God means that they are the creature through whom God's plan and purposes can be made known and actualized. Humans in this way can be seen as co-creators with God. The moral implications of the doctrine of Imago Dei are apparent in the fact that if humans are to love God, then humans must love other humans, as each is an expression of God. The human's likeness to God can also be understood by contrasting it with that which does not image God, i.e. beings who, as far as we know, are without self-consciousness and the capability for spiritual or moral reflection and growth. Humans differ from all other creatures because of their rational structure, their capacity for deliberation and free decision-making. This freedom gives the human a centeredness and completeness which allows the possibility for self-actualization and participation in a sacred reality. However, the freedom which makes the human in God's image is the same freedom which manifests itself in estrangement from God, as the myth of the fall, Adam and Eve, exemplifies. According to this myth, humans can, in their freedom, choose to deny or repress their spiritual and moral likeness to God. The ability and desire to love oneself and others, and therefore God, can become neglected and even opposed. Striving to bring about the Imago Dei in one's life can be seen as the quest for wholeness, or one's essential self, as pointed to in Christ's life and teaching. Again, guys, this is coming from more of a secular resource, so that's why they talked about Adam and Eve being a myth and blah, blah, blah. I know you're screaming. I get it. But that just kind of gives you a a big overall idea of what the Imago Dei is. And the thing I just kind of have to ask as a follow-up here is when was the last time you heard that talked about at your church? For those of you that attend church, which you should. I mean, and I don't mean someone mentioning the Imago Dei as part of some sort of prosperity gospel pitch or self-help context. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone break down the Imago Dei and talk about it in terms of who we are? Because again, we've talked about how this generation is trying to anchor itself to perfection, but perfection in what? It's perfection in appearance. You know, we're moving away from that Judeo-Christian ethic. You know, our kids are less resilient. And who's teaching them about the Imago Dei? Their football coach probably isn't. You know, their, their homeroom teacher probably isn't, you know, they may not even be getting it from the youth group. Right. And so they're just stuck. So basically they're going through life with little bits of Christianese here and there from either what you bring to the household or what the pastor does or, or what they see at camp or those types of things. But it's not really grounding them in any way, shape or form, which kind of leads us to the last thing here that I want us to think about is we have to anchor in scripture. Oh uh, yeah, it's kind of a duh at the end of a podcast, but dude, I mean, it, it, that's what it is. We have to anchor in scripture because again, this is an identity issue. It's where are you finding your identity? Is your identity found in your appearance? Is it found in your parents' house that you have? Is it found in your grades? Is it, is it found in any of those things? Because again, we don't have the issue of Snapchat dysmorphia if people are okay with how they look and who they are. And I just want to kind of do some some rapid fire scripture reference here, but just basically, how do we anchor ourselves as having the identity of someone that's found in Christ? So John one twelve says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the last one here is Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 
So, so again, it's where are we anchoring, guys? Like, like where are we going to go? Where are we going to find ourselves when we need to have those, those moments where we are going in a certain direction? What do we anchor to? Because here's the thing that I can pretty much guarantee you is a kid who might have a predisposition to want to have some sort of body dysmorphic disorder or Snapchat dysmorphia or something like that. If they're grounded in the reality of Christ and they have a gospel-centered focus of this world, they're not going to try to go under the knife to change their cheekbones. Come on. I mean, it's just find yourself where you are in reality. But for some of these kids, their reality is so skewed because it's, it's basically grounded in nothing in their appearance, which will fade or their bodies, which will start to droop in, in their levels of athletic prowess, which will go down as time goes. Father, time is undefeated, right? We've heard that a billion times, but those are the types of things that we have to be ready for guys. I mean, I know I got a lot of dads listening to this podcast. You to a large degree are going to keep your kids from going this direction. And again, I'm not necessarily saying you need to have them stop using these social media applications. You know, it's, it's kind of fun and goofy to, you know, put yourself in a filter and, you know, now you're in space. Okay, now you're on a roller coaster. Okay, now you have, you know, big eyes or whatever the thing is like that. That's kind of fun and, and harmless for some people. But for some people, it's not. For some people, will we become all consuming. Do you want that to happen to your kids? Do you want that to happen to their friends? Well, part of you being a man is standing in the breach and taking some of the brunt of those issues. And part of that is also you sitting down with them and explaining to them what it means to be beautiful what it means to be found in Christ, what it means to be a child of God. And guys, no one else is going to do that for you. I mean, we talk, we talk about this all the time. It's like, if you basically shirk responsibility to your family, someone else is going to lead them. And this is your wife included, guys. But someone's going to lead that person. They're, they're going to basically get feedback from somebody else or they're going to start looking up to somebody else and they're going to have that person tell them how they should be grounded. Don't you want that person to be you instead? Why would, why would you want someone else telling your kids what to do and how to act, right? That's your job. So, so guys, I, I know I kind of brought something in here for you that you may have not been uh, identifying with, but I would just encourage you to do a little bit more research on this subject and use this podcast as a primer so that you can know more so you can be better. All right, guys, before I let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical t- toughness. So today we're going to work on spiritual resilience. And so I found, you know, I wanted to kind of bring out a couple of different articles on, on gender dysmorphia. Or, no, sorry, on Snapchat dysmorphia and on some, some things about finding your identity in Christ. But I found a single link that I think helps a lot. So it's from Desiring God. So that's that's John Piper's deal. So from Desiring God, it's a basically a, a collection of different blogs. It's called Identity in Christ. And so as you go through this, uh, there's different sections. So one section is lies we believe about ourselves. And then there's a little short uh, few sentences explaining that. But then there's articles that kind of came from the website. Identity as a gift from God, new belonging in Jesus, uh, united in Jesus, citizens of heaven, so on and so forth. And so basically there, there's several dozen articles here that I think kind of help out with this. So for a lot of you guys, you're going to take certain parts of what I said, or some others are going to appeal to you, whatever the thing may be. But at at the end of the day, I think there's some really, really good things here that can kind of help you. A lot of these articles are really, really short. And so you can take down most of them, if not all of them in a fairly short period of time, but then think about how you can apply those things. 
How can you apply them at work? How can you apply them within your family, with your kids, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know the drill. So I think that's something that'd be really, really important for you guys to look at. All right. So thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. As always, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen. Share this on social media and make sure you use the hashtag Undaunted Life. We'll be sure to find the post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one because at this point, the podcast is growing, but it will continue to grow if you leave a five-star review and leave a couple of sentences letting us know why you like the content, okay? I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning of 2019, so if you want me to come speak to your team, your church, your Sunday school, whatever, please hit me up at info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, Keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.